I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You and I went to a local brunch place yesterday. Mm-hmm. It is impossible for you to move around the neighborhood without becoming a bit of a character. What happened was, is it was a wobbly table and they serve this dish that I like on a wobbly platter. Part of the aesthetic of the restaurant is they're serving it to you on like a tin tray. Like what you might get in prison. Yes, but it's supposed to feel like hip. So it sort of almost spins. But because I thought the guy who was serving us was so lovely, I didn't want to like complain about the wobbly table, but spinning dish on top of wobbling table is like a lot for me to deal with. Okay, fine. And so I was keeping that to myself and with very minimal hostility. I don't think the market is a spinning dish. It's not like it's on a Lazy Susan. Because it's not that smooth. A Lazy (laughs) Susan is a, what an honor to work with a Lazy Susan. (laughs) What a satisfying movement. It's a really satisfying kind of thing. Do you think it's possible to talk about a Lazy Susan without doing the actions of moving one? No, but because I'm doing it now and it's a very nice feeling. Now that I'm thinking about a lazy Susan, I'm feeling sad that I don't have more lazy Susan moments in my life. Mm. Oh, what a device. Anyway, so I like was dealing with this tin that they give me my dish on. The table's wobbling, but I'm not that annoyed by it because I'm in a nice mood. I'm eating some nice food and the waiter is really nice. But then there's a moment where cutlery spilled over because the table was so wobbly. And the guy who I'd had my rapport with said something to me like, gosh, can't take her anywhere. Ha ha ha. Do you know what always escalates in terms of liveliness of interaction? Uh Uh-huh. You, plus a certain type of campery. Oh, a camp man. Yeah. And I find each other quickly. Yes. We build off one another's energy. Do you know what it is? Okay. And we're talking in stereotypes here a bit, I think. But I think there is a certain kind of fakeness of interaction that I fucking love. I, there's another kind of interaction that I find incredibly exhausting. If it's very surface, how was the weather? Good. Did you guys have it? That's exhausting. But if you're asking me for like a bit of a show and you're going to give me a bit of a show back, oh, I think I get quite exhilarated. And like, it's bullshit, bullshit, lovey, lovey. I don't feel like it's fake and dumb. I feel like, ah! like, like I can feel the energy of the fucking fakeness just filling me with power and energy with a camp man who's like, bitch, work. And I'm like, I will. 
And that's true. Now, our guest on this episode is somebody you spotted in one of the shows you watched the other week. It's a very exciting moment because right as I started Balenciaga, I was like, whoa, that's Gemma Whelan. We know Gemma Whelan. Now, I adore Gemma Whelan. I got to know her a little bit when I was hosting a spin-off show for, for Game of Thrones. And just to give you an idea of how low rent the spin-off show was, it had on Sky after the HBO series itself. And, and somebody tweeted, why have Sky chosen to follow the most expensive program ever made for television with the cheapest program ever made for television? And it, 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 was, it was very much that. It was very uh-huh. much held together with sticky tape. But there was a, a, a lot of enthusiasm. And a charm to it. A, char- a lo-fi charm. I think it had a lo-fi charm. <laughs> so as a consequence of that, I got to interview a bunch of cast members. And Gemma, just straight away, I thought... Oh, you are such a special person. She's so funny and so charming. So we got to talk to her. She couldn't have... I was like, will you talk to us about Balenciaga? She was like, oh, of course. She goes, I'll do it tonight. What a dream boat. So we have, I think, a very warm, friendly, and I hope interesting conversation coming up with Gemma Whelan. All right, for your quick watch this week, you've carried on watching True Detective without me, not because I don't want to watch it, just because life gets in the way sometimes. So I decided that what I was doing this week was getting up to speed on True Detective, colon, Night Country. So I suppose the first thing to say is that I want to beat the drum for this show. There's something about the way all the pieces are coming together that is so engrossing. And when we last talked about True Detective, I said, you know, I've never been this big Jodie Foster fan, but she is so... So good in this. And the trope generally, right? What's going on is there's been a crime in a small town. And they think the small town doesn't have the correct and qualified police detectives to solve this crime. They got to give it to the big city. But guess what? There's one small town detective who cares about their job and who's going to prove that they're just as good as those big city honky-tonk guys over there. That is a great trope, though. I mean, you're describing both the movie and every series of Fargo. And like a million other things that you've seen. And so is that the most original storyline? Of course not. But I think also there is a supernatural component to it. The supernatural stuff kind of sets off alarm bells with me a little bit. It always feels like a bait and switch when you're watching a show and trying to figure out what's going on here. Oh, it's the spirit realm. Do you remember when we were watching Love Has Won, Cult of Mother God? Yes. One of the most likable characters in the film, she was like a local reporter. She was like, you know, there are these parts of the world where whatever it is that separates our world from the spirit world, that wall is just a little bit thinner than it is. And a similar thing is said by a character in this TV show. And I was like, I don't think it's about spirits being able to get in more easily. I think they are more isolated communities where lunacy can run rampant more easily. Yes. Because of how desolate the place is. Yes. There's just like less mental health care available for people. (laughs) Can I tell you about one little scene that happens? So... You see this one cop and she approaches the house and she hears blood curdling screams and she draws her gun. And the plot twist is she goes into the house and it's actually she's walked into like a midwife center. And so it's women giving birth. And I thought, and by the way, I would like to issue a trigger warning right now. If you are very pregnant in conversations surrounding childbirth or like freaking you out, then just skip ahead with this. But breaking news. 
if you haven't been through childbirth or you haven't been with a woman who is going through childbirth, real different in real life to how it is in TV. This is the note that directors should have in their mind when they're like, you know, I want to be doing a more realistic childbirth scene here. The note the director should have is like, you need to shoot this shit like it's a fucking horror film. One of my most enduring memories of you in childbirth was you telling me off because you thought I wasn't holding the the mask that with the gas and air pain relief mm-hmm. close to your mouth. You felt that I was deliberately moving away from you. I felt like I was in unbelievable pain and you were making me do some of the work. No. You were like, come and get the gas and air if you no, want it so no. bad. I'm having physio from a crooked finger at the moment and uh, I asked the physiotherapist if I could have some gas and air. Do you want to tell anyone about some of the things that you do to keep yourself from screaming out in pain? You're in a bay on a shared ward uh-huh. when you're having the physio done. So I can't just shriek like I want to. Mm-hmm. So if you even touch my hand when we're on the sofa. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's just what you yeah, do. But yeah. I won't do that in the hospital. So, so one thing is I am stomping my feet on the floor in a very extreme way. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes... I'm putting my head down onto the table. And then the other thing that I'm doing is, oh. is I've got my right arm fully extended and I'm clicking going, oh <laughs> <laughs> she tells me to breathe. I think it is bizarre, the stuff that I'm getting up I to. bet she sits there and she feels like her entire professional career is led her to this moment. <laughs> you think she talks about anything else when she gets home at the end of the day? She's like, I'm seeing this fucking guy. <laughs> and his arm goes straight up and he snaps for pain management. <laughs> I bet she really leaves her appointments with you feeling like she's met a new type of person. (laughs) So how much catching up would either I or our listeners need to do with True Detective at this point? So right now, guys, four episodes. I think those of you who have Supernatural as a red line and or hate women might not be into it. But I think it just feels different. It feels creepy. Just the whole package is working for me. For my quick watch this week, I watched the first episode of the new Amazon Prime Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And this is now like the TV version of the old Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie film. Yes, that's right. And I never saw that film, never had any interest in it. But I'd read a few things saying that this TV show is really good and it is is really good. So in that film, it's a couple who are also spies, agents, hired assassins. Yes, And I think the premise of the TV show is slightly different, so I'll try and run you through it. It stars Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. They are the titular Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh The show opens with a different Mr. and Mrs. Smith being killed. So you instantly get the idea that it's, it's it's a James Bond situation where there's always somebody doing this job. Do you see what I mean? Like 007 isn't a person. Oh. Do you want to know who the Mr. Smith is between Brad Pitt and Donald Glover? Yes. Alexander Skarsgård. No! We see him for only a couple of minutes, but what a joy to see that man again. What a dreamboat he is. So the show is Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. Okay. Who I wasn't previously very aware of. It was originally supposed to be Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Creative differences. Creative differences is why she... What what were the differences? Well, I don't know, but because she seems like one of these people who can't make bad stuff, my instinct is to be on Phoebe's side. Yeah. But but did you think the show was very fine? Yes, I thought it was really good. Really watchable. Maybe not peak television. Sure. But really very good. I think they've got really good chemistry. 
But I don't know if I'm a very good judge of that. I don't think I know what chemistry is. When people talk about, oh, the chemistry, I, I really d- don't think I know what I'm talking about. Oh, that's so interesting. So you see them meet each other. You see them being interviewed for the job separately by computer. I think that's how I'd want to be interviewed. Really? I've never really done job interviews because of the odd career that I've had. You've truly never sat down across a desk from someone and have them interview you? I applied for a job at Sainsbury's collecting trolleys uh-huh. in, I think, 1991. Uh-huh. And that was a job interview that I had. And I didn't get it. Oh, Jeff, what do you think they didn't see in you? Do I look like somebody who would be able to push, say, 15 trolleys around a car park without hitting cars? No, but I wonder if you seemed different when you were whatever you would have been. No, I wasn't. I wasn't strapping. Um, So they don't know what they're being interviewed for exactly. Yeah. But they know it's high risk. And then they meet each other when they turn up at the apartment that they've been assigned for the first time. And there are marriage papers and new identities for them and money and a cupboard full of guns. Apart from the guns, I do find the idea of a whole new identity very appealing. Thanks a lot. Are you taking me with you? I I think I would take you with me. I I could lose a lot of my friends and acquaintances. But do you never have little fantasies about being put in a witness protection (laughs) programme? These are these things. This is like when you talk about like wishing you were an animal, like in a real way. (laughs) But I do. Yeah, no. I I think life would be so much easier. So the first episode is that they're assigned a mission. They're given a photograph of a woman. They have to go and follow her and then intercept a parcel that she has and take it somewhere. Mm -hmm. The chase leads them into a theatre. So we're in a situation where one of them is on the outside, the other one's on the inside with an earpiece on, and they're communicating via text. Mm -hmm. Nothing in this show. And remember, it's a high-stakes show with spies or whatever they are on a mission danger of death. Nothing gave me as much anxiety as seeing somebody texting in a theatre. Oh my god, such bad behaviour. Those tickets are so expensive. Do you think that your anxiety comes from being like, oh, I'm going to have to say something? What happens is I can't concentrate on what's happening in a theatre or a cinema if someone's texting. Right, same. But I can't not say something. It's the only environment where I'm bold. God, yeah. Why is that the environment where you feel comfortable? Dark, no eye contact. Look, I think this Mr and Mrs Smith is, is good TV and At the end of the first episode, they showed a trailer for coming up on this series. And there's a bunch of cameos from good people. I think think this is going to be a thing to watch. Okay, that's really interesting. But I've just realized an uh, an opinion that I have is that if I hear about cameos too early on, I do question the quality of something. Uh, So uh, this all sounded kind of good and fun. And you were like, and there are all these cameos. I'm like, whoa, dude, save it for season three or four. Don't go too hard too soon. We want to hear from you, please. We we feed on your thoughts, don't we? We feast on your email. (sighs) You know I love it. You know I love it. So have you seen any of these shows? Do you agree with us, disagree with us? Um, Also, I was thinking about Jodie Foster, how you've overcome your Jodie Foster aversion. Mm -hmm. Is there a thing with an actor that you can't get past which has prevented you from enjoying their subsequent work? Yeah, so we're not talking about like depressing, like Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, trying to separate art from artists. We're talking like weird, dumb shit. Tiny things, one answer in a questionnaire in a magazine. Yes, I had that with Jennifer Grey. Like in the 90s, I heard her do an interview and she was like, once in a while I'm naughty and I have a slice of bread. And I was like, never again. Also, what is the least realistic depiction of childbirth you've ever seen on screen? Examples of the supernatural ruining it for you? (laughs) Or not? Um, Tropes you never tire of, like the small town detective who just... Ready for a challenge. (laughs) Sees things with more clarity. Mm -hmm. They're a wise old owl. 
Oh, can we, can we try and dig into the subject of chemistry between actors? Yes, it's so weird and amorphous. Give me an example of like, this is chemistry. And then give me an example of, this is not chemistry. Have you heard any examples of the chemistry between two actors being described as, oh, it's just they just had something, and in real life they hated each other? You know what else I'd like to hear about? If you work in film, because we've got to have some of you fuckers as our listeners... Tell me about a chemistry test. I know that chemistry tests are a thing, and I want to know more. Also, what are your TV anxiety triggers, like me seeing someone texting in a theatre? And as ever, what are you watching that we haven't yet cottoned onto? The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Well, here we are. February, so I don't want to be hearing any of your bullshit anymore about how, you know, things are really tight because you spent all your money at Christmas. Come on, Patreon time. Look, you know what I want? I want your money now, okay? I'm going to start to say something. We're cooking up something for you, okay? We can't tell you what it is yet, but we're cooking something up, and it's not going to be a piece of shit. No, it's a hearty stew. We are making you a fucking hearty stew and you are going to want it with a nice glass of red wine okay i'll tell you right now you're not going to have to be a patreon member to get access to the stew but we all know what a stew need it needs the right amount of salt and if you are a patreon member when this thing fucking drops it's going to be like the perfect little extra dash of salt so get in now you could also get in at whatever point we announce it but get in now <laughs> Get in now. We'll do our voice notes. You'll get your little watch list. You've been meaning to join. You've been meaning to join. You've been meaning to join. But have they been meaning to join? They've been meaning to join. Join the Patreon. And if, as ever, you don't have the money, I respect that completely. But then what do you do? You tell a like-minded friend. Those of you who've already taken my advice, maybe you already told a friend. How did it go? What did they say? If it's anything mean obviously don't tell me. You know, join the Patreon for the bonus content. Okay, always join for the BOCO. But also, also, the way the fucking world works now in our line of business is you have to basically work for free all the fucking time. (laughs) You just are fucking working for free all the fucking time. That's why Patreons exist. Because what you're supposed to do is work for free and hope for the best. So join the Patreon because you think this podcast seems like a lot of fucking work and you want to pay us for all the free work that we do. Thank you. Patreon.com stroke they like to watch. And later, we're joined by the delightful Gemma Whelan to talk about Balenciaga. Balenciaga. The thing we watched together this week was The Greatest Night in Pop, the story of the song We Are the World. And I was surprised how much I enjoyed it, because I don't like the song. (gasps) Come on, it's so mawkish. But it's so Fun. So I would say the star of the documentary is Lionel Richie. That is a magnificent head. What is up with his head? It's like an Easter Island statue. We all know that some people have big heads. Not, neither of us have a small head. No. Neither, neither of us are pinheads. No, we both have big heads. We've talked about big heads on this podcast before. Carl from Succession. Ed Sullivan had a big head. People have big heads. Not a big deal. Whatever it is that's going on with Lionel Richie's head is extremely singular. It really makes you think about the job they had rendering in clay for that music video. (laughs) 
Um, and he seems great, Lionel Richie, in it. Yes. I would say that the, the other person who's the focus of the documentary is Michael Jackson. Now, how, how are we supposed to feel? Because I'm, I'm losing track. It's, it's like documentaries come along or magazine articles and, and you find yourself thinking, oh, yeah, there's, there's no question, really. And then something like this comes along, and what we're just supposed to forget yeah, you're about so it. So right, it was weird. You know, some things ask you to suspend your disbelief. Uh-huh. It's like this film asks you to suspend any questions you might have about the sleepovers yeah, and the animals. And well, what was interesting is um, the the songwriting session takes place at Michael Jackson's house. Lionel Richie goes over there, right? And he says that Michael asked if he wanted to hold bubbles, Aye. and he said no. Who wouldn't want to hold a chimp? Well, he comes across Lionel in a way that I'm always sort of into is very anti-animal. I think to his credit, he wasn't into the like the sort of safari component. How many different types of animal is it possible for somebody to live with? So we're not talking about quantity uh-huh, of animals. Uh-huh, uh-huh, we're talking uh-huh. different species yeah, 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 this is... without the alarm bells going off. I'm kind of hardcore with this stuff. So I would even say if you have a dog and a cat, I feel a little weird. Whereas... Like a dog and a hamster or a dog and a fish. I think you can have two. And as long as one is small, you're fine. I think part of it is an urban setting versus a rural setting. Sure, okay, yeah, sure, of course. Sure. Of course. Um, and then I think it's you can have a maximum of two animals that roam free. <laughs> and it really depends what animals are roaming free around your house as sure, well. Yeah. And then something like a fish tank. Or a hamster. Yeah, okay, that all sounds okay. I've got a cousin who, I think just after COVID, like a lot of people, decided to move out of the city and move to the countryside just outside Stockport. And and I think he's got a couple of llamas. Well, that's crazy. I love llamas. I'm at the zoo all the time. I'm, I'm at, if you ever want to run into me, just come to Z- <laughs> the London Zoo on a weekend. I know it. So I could get you to, I think if you could blindfold me, I could get you to a different animal in London Zoo. (laughs) So what I want to say to you is I love llamas, but I don't think that any point of my life is going to be me going, oh, well, I guess I'm just a llama lady now. So this documentary then, it is fun to watch. Why? Is it just seeing that many famous people in a room together interacting with each other? Yes, and that is unbelievably satisfying to watch. The story is very well told, but also there are a lot of egos at work here right now. And sort of watching the the, the power dynamics, these people who in any other situation would be the highest status person in the room, suddenly have to deal with all the egos. It was just fascinating to get to watch that play out. And something that I thought was crazy about it is it happened after the American Music Awards. So they'd sat through an award ceremony. If, if you've watched one on TV, that is a long night. It is much longer in a room. And that you would have the energy to then go to a recording studio until half past four in the morning or something. No, I think it was more like half past six. So people start arriving to the studio around like 11.30 or midnight. So at first, the energy is kind of after party. But then they have to deal with all the logistics and the takes. I don't enjoy two things in one night. Just give me an activity. Oh, my God. My friends agreed as like a, I would say, a, a courtesy to me, a pity party almost, to go see Magic Mike Last Dance with me. Because I was like so excited when that film came out. And they were like, okay, we'll go with you. Afterwards. And it's a weeknight. 
<laughs> they go, should we go to the pub? And I was like, <laughs> like, I and these are my best friends here. These are the people I'm comfortable with, the people I can keep talking to. I could feel the anxiety. I have a reputation for not being fun. So I'm like, I have to say yes. I think I messaged you. I was like, they're suggesting we go for a drink after the film. <laughs> so, so we go to the pub and we share a bottle of wine. Three women, one bottle of wine. We already had cocktails at the cinema. You know, most of the people who listen to this are British and they think nothing of that. I know. After we finish the bottle of wine, Asia goes, should we get another? I'm like, they're suggesting a second bottle. <laughs> And I think, you know, I was, I said, like, this is getting insane. So if you'd have been an artist at the American Music Awards, you would have absolutely point blank refused to take part in We Are The World. Well, no, I would have said yes, because you had to say yes. And, and so Well, was, you didn't, did you? Because there was some notable uh, uh, notable absences. Prince isn't able to make it. Sheila E said that he, he wouldn't have felt comfortable with that many people in a room. Here's all I'll say about Prince. What a talent. I think he's like possibly as terrible a human as any human has ever been. As, as any human has ever been. Possibly. Like, I'm not saying that, for example, a Christopher Columbus or a Hitler, that some of their bad personality quirks <laughs> had like quirks. a more negative effect on society and, and culture right, and stuff. Right. But I, I think Prince is terrible there's some not great stuff that doesn't yes. get talked about and with I, prince yes and i thought you know all these other slebs for all their cuckoo pantsness they kind of went oh right we, we have to do this and set our egos aside for the children but not fucking piece of shit prince who are your heroes of the documentary oh my number one hero of the documentary and I just, I've just been thinking a lot about him since we watched it, is Huey Lewis of Huey Lewis in the News. He just seems like the greatest guy that ever lived. So first of all, he's, he's much lower status than some of the other people that they've got talking about it, right? Like they've got Bruce Springsteen talking about it. So he's kind of there like, this was absurd that I got to participate in something like this. So that kind of thing is very disarming. He looks like he has a great sense of humor about himself, and he tells his story so well, and he just looks great. Stevie Wonder's quite the character, isn't he? God help anyone who ever has to work with him. That's sort of the impression you get. Watch like, we all know that he's one of the greatest geniuses of all time, but corralling him is a nightmare for whoever has that job. He matches the beat of his own drum. It's it's possible he's got some executive function issues. <laughs> I, I think. Undiagnosed. Undiagnosed. This is an armchair diagnosis. Um, there's a very odd bit in the documentary where uh, Stevie Wonder tries to get people to sing in Swahili, despite the fact that Swahili isn't a language in Ethiopia where they're raising money for this famine. And then Michael Jackson tries to solve the problem by inventing some African-sounding words. <laughs> Quincy Jones is the producer. You know, I love to like watch people do their job. And so it felt like getting to watch Quincy Jones do what music producing is. And that was fantastic. Quincy Jones taped a sign to the wall saying, check your ego at the door. Do you think anybody obeys a sign like that? There's a pub in Stockport that I used to see. And it had a sign taped to the window. And it said, no riffraff. Yeah. I thought, who is looking at that and thinking, oh, I'm oh, riffraff, I'm better not. <laughs> and it feels a bit the same as uh, nobody thinks. They're the problem. Yes. And also they had these sort of like branded t-shirts. Did you see that? They'd made like Save Africa t-shirts or something like that. All of it. Save the whole thing. Just that whole... <laughs> not, not just the feminine in Ethiopia. No, no, just the whole Like while place. we're at it. Just Africa. Because they don't really get into the saviour charity 
problematic element of uh, these songs. None of this digs deep in that way. This is just some fluff with some ego dynamics involved. Have you watched The Greatest Night in Pop? What did you think? Let us know. Email us. Also, based on me not really liking that song, but still really enjoying the documentary, what have you enjoyed about something you actively dislike? The common one is good sports stuff for people who don't like sports. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, star of the sumptuous, lavish Balenciaga. Balenciaga. Ah, Gemma Whelan. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I said to Sarah before, I can't say your name without saying, oh, Gemma Whelan. You're one of those people who it's it's like it's part of your name. Um, are you ever not a ray of sunshine? Um, yeah, but this, uh, that I'm sure Sarah will psychoanalyze me as if she's covering something up. She's, <laughs> she's terrified of being disliked. <laughs> Everything's fine. I assume you're not a ray of sunshine to your husband all the time, because who could be a ray of sunshine to their husband all the time? No, no, I blame him for things that are clearly not his fault a lot of the time. This morning, I couldn't brush Freddie's teeth, and it was Jerry's fault. Freddie was resisting. Anyway, we had a really stupid argument about it. And then he said, is there any apology? I couldn't do it. So yeah, but, nasty, nasty. But Gemma, so what if tonight when Jerry comes back from tennis? Because I brush his teeth. You brush his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's different in every marriage. Maybe I'll say sorry tonight. Is what you That's what I was going to say. You know, right. Like if you, so few of us can say I'm sorry when mm. we're feeling attacked yeah. or embarrassed, Gemma. Yeah. I'm a real, I'm a real rupture and repair gal. Uh-huh. I'm really, really happy, uh, happy to apologize to the children profusely over and over again. But yes, I struggle with the grown ups. Once I've had a day or two, I can normally come back and say this and I've been thinking about that. So it's a bit unreasonable, wasn't it? But does that mean that every apology is a sincere apology though? Hmm. Yeah, I can't say an insincere apology. If I don't mean it, I can't I can't say it. 
If if you're getting a sorry from me, it is a genuine heartfelt sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't keep. I can't say sorry to keep the peace. I really resent any kind of fake apologies to keep the peace. It has to be real, felt. What with a tear? What I've taken from this though, Gemma, is that you are you are a ray of sunshine in every other situation. I, am I right in thinking? Because we we got to know each other when you we're doing Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. I, I was doing the world's cheapest Game of Thrones spin-off show. Am I right in thinking that mainly what you'd done up until that point was comedy? Yeah, I'd mainly done character stand-up and some like bit parts in, in sitcoms and stuff. Sometimes when you look at all the drama work you've done in the wake of wow. Game of Thrones, just scratch your head and go, how did that happen? Well, do you know what? I, like, I always wanted to do more dramatic parts, but like I'd always been funny at school and I'd always like enjoyed the idea of doing stand-up and like the comedy route but once I sort of started going down the comedy route I thought I really want to do some drama it's very hard to sort of cross over um and I'd ask my agent you know could could you maybe think of like any drama that we could sort of start thinking about alongside the comedy and then I went to a comedy casting it was a a, um a role in a sitcom called Threesome with Amy Huberman and Amon, not Eamon Holmes, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and Eamon Holmes, but anyway, um, I forget names now, I'm sorry, um, they're stars these days, but anyway, as I was in the room for that job, the casting director just said, I think you're perfect for something I'm casting at the moment called Game of Thrones, I'll get in touch with your agent. So I was just in the right place at the right time, it was serendipity oh. of like, it was a gift of like, I was just being seen for bit parts in comedies and he just saw something and... The next week I was in for Yara and then I had a recall like a few days later. Seriously. It was something you were trying to do then because you, you were mm. so funny. I've seen videos of the character you used to do. We've talked about it before. And I, I wondered if it was like this accidental move into drama that had happened. But I think it was always hoped for by me, but I wasn't like pressing, pressing, pressing for it. It was just a, an idea that I'd had that like, it would be nice to do both. You know, Olivia Coleman uh, is everyone's idol, I'm sure. But, you know, what she did, you know, in terms of straddling the, the comedy and the drama oh God. was so magic to me. And I really, you know, I, I wanted to flex those, when I act to say flex those muscles, I hate them, but here I am. Are you in a situation now where, like, whenever you want to, you can you decide to go do a Comic-Con and be like, we'll take an extra holiday this year? The Comic-Cons have dried up, last. Comic-Cons have dried yeah. up, Gemma? yeah. Yeah, I expect well, more I mean, from you. That was not that yeah, long ago. Come on, I think I, I, I did, I did a lot. I had a really good time. I think, like, I, I could do them, but I think I got out while the going was good because there's nothing sadder than watching someone who was in a show at a comic con with no queue. We've oh, we've seen, seen it. We went to one, and it was one of the Doctor Who's. Actually, it might have even been Sylvester McCoy, and there was no queue for him. So our son just wandered over to say hello. Oh. Um, but he didn't want an autograph or, or anything like that. He just wanted oh, they're to the worst. say hello. <laughs> they're the worst. The but time hold wasters. On. Hold on. If you go to a Comic-Con and you have no queue and you're just kind of in that moment, just dealing mm-hmm. with that lack of queue, if I may, are you still getting sort of like an appearance fee? Well, you get a guarantee. Uh-huh. So you get like, for, for argument's sake, you get a thousand pounds to appear uh-huh. on a day. <laughs> And maybe you do £500 worth of autographs. Mm-hmm. So they then get £500 worth of extra autographs out of you to flog off on the internet somewhere. Gemma, yeah. you came up through comedy. 
You yeah. used to do stand-up. You have presumably been through the Edinburgh cycle before. Mm-hmm. That would have mm-hmm. meant you dealt with some empty rooms, some difficult times. Yeah. yeah. You oh, yeah, can yeah, some deal tough times. with no cue to get the guarantee. Yeah. People used to be lining up at the door, Sarah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's a pretty it's a pretty steep fall. Okay, okay. I feel as well that, like, I'm too keen to be liked, and I wouldn't hate for all the passers-by to see me and a big poster of Yara behind me, <laughs> and no one there. <laughs> this would be too painful. So I've quit. Okay. I've quit the con world. But I'm thinking, like, maybe in a few years' time, like... That'd be really exciting to to meet a washed up old Yara, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, uh, Do you have little scripts in your head? So, so sometimes I imagine it's overwhelming for people to talk to you, and they don't quite know what to cry. say. Some people cry. Do you cry? No, I don't. People cry. People have cried. Oh, Gemma, physically shaking and crying. Oh no! It doesn't happen often. I don't even know what to do when people I know start crying, let alone strangers. No, of course not. But it's 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 more to do with sort of the the gay side of who Yara was and how it sort of helped people come out or or that sort of thing. So they've got a story with it. Oh, Gemma. Largely, which is always like, I'm really glad I was part of your journey. Do you want an autograph? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just here for a chat. Oh, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> are you good? At, are you good at closing it down when it's time to move on to the next person? Occasionally, well, you get someone to sit beside you to sort of deal with the money because it's a bit, you know, you don't want to be taking money off people. And so so someone's like, you know, do the money bit. And occasionally you can be like, or there's a signal or a sign or something to go, okay. But you see, when you don't have a cue, (laughs) you can't say, sorry, someone's waiting. It's a very specific science, guys. Have you been in a work situation? Because you work with some very high profile people. And so I imagine you must spend some time around a lot of egos. And surely Mm -hmm. some of those egos miss. We will get no names and I accept that. But surely you have seen certain misbehaviors or egos and so on. Does your, oh, Gemma, oh, Gemma, Gemma, Gemma. Does that sweetness in you temper any egos that you've that you've had to be around? Hmm, great question. I feel like I'm lucky that I haven't come across that many egos. Or if I do, I'm very quick to remove myself from the situation or go quiet. But I've heard many a story about certain people who have been on certain in certain scenes and rooms with me. I've heard things about them that are unsavory, and I have witnessed unsavory things. <laughs> But it's more just like, it's fascinating, isn't it, to watch a human being think that they can behave like that. I just, I'm fascinated, but I wouldn't ever say anything. Which do you think they um, know? You know when somebody's mood affects an entire place, maybe a set or yes. whatever? Do, yeah. do, you, do you think they know that they're wielding that power? I think they do, and I think they enjoy it. Uh, whoever's number one, whoever's like the head of department, you can only be as happy as the unhappiest person in your department, I suppose, and often dick swinging and egos are are, are a sign of deep unhappiness and they press their nastiness into other people so yeah when i am very lucky enough on one of the shows i do i'm number one i try and be very nice hopefully it trickles down doing this podcast i deal with a certain number of prs sometimes and i do you know i really don't mean to generalize generalize but i feel like they do like being Bitch, I don't know if it's bitch. It's like, well, we'll let you know. 
that's the tone of it. And I think that whoever the people are who don't have PRs or just easy to get, I think that's how I would be. If I got successful enough, I would never make people deal with PRs. I'd just be like, I'm here. I don't have a team. And anytime though, Gemma, I get a whisper of getting to have a team or like if my agent has is like, do you just want me to make this go away? I'm like, yeah, make it fucking go away. (laughs) So I think actually I'd really lean into that kind of behavior if I was ever actually given the chance. Do you think you would be one of those? Mm -hmm. I think I would. Sometimes I think British people really admire people who can speak their mind in a sort of measured way that gets the job done. And I think that can be quite exciting to see. So I think you would still be well liked, even if you lent into the make it go away team. Okay, great. Then maybe I'll go for it. But isn't the trick to be really, I think you should. The trick is to be really lovely to everybody. And then um, get your team to do your get dirty work for you, isn't it? Do the dirty work. Yeah, you 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 do hear of like, oh, we we heard you weren't able to do that. I'm like, who told you that? Like, oh, one of your people. I'm like, I don't have people. <laughs> so as the message can get muddied, and uh, yeah, it's better just to go straight to the straight to the source. But some people are like, oh my god, I loved you. Let me put you in touch with my PR, and I'm like, oh. no, no, and- no. All I'm saying is, I always think a little bit better of the people like you. Okay. But the truth is, I think within me is the fact that I'd be the other type of person. You'd be the other type of person. Yeah. We're going to talk about, um, Sarah keeps laughing at the way I say Balenciaga. Oh I'm, I'm God, really Jenna. trying to do the th- oh. in the middle Do you in the say croissant there. in a French accent, Jeff? Croissant. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> got one of them. You could be the judge of that. Balenciaga. 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 <sighs> Okay, so Gemma, this thing that I'm working on as an interviewer is I'm too sycophantic with people. So I want to step in like, oh my God, you were so amazing. But the Spanish was so good that I did just assume you were a natural Spanish speaker and that was part of how you got the role. No, I had schoolgirl Spanish. And I, when when the role came through, my agent, he was like, do you speak Spanish? I was like, yeah, I mean, sure, I can get by. It's pretty good conversational Spanish. I did it in school. And I like languages. And then the meeting came through and I recorded some of the words with Jerry. And then it's, they were like, we would love you to do it. So I might have been the only person who auditioned for it. <laughs> 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 it's, very, it's very niche, isn't it? A British actor who can sort of speak Spanish, who is about the right age. I'm sure there's loads of us. But anyway, my understanding was it was like a couple of scenes. And then suddenly I got the scripts and it was as you know, really classical, old-fashioned, complicated Spanish. And I was completely at sea. So they very kindly got me a, a, a Spanish tutor. And twice a week, her name is Amaya Iriba. She's amazing. And we, twice a week, we would spend at, at least an hour going over all the lines, rehearsing, rehearsing, practicing. Yeah, I, For about six months, I had a lot of Spanish tutoring. Oh so I, I worked really hard. <laughs> really hard. Was all that studying, was it kind of fun and you felt like you were a good student or was just a nice I felt like I was a good student because mm-hmm. um, my desire to please is high. So I was really vigilant, really, really dedicated. But I also, like, Freddie was a really little baby. So he would just be, like, breastfeeding during these, like, Zoom sessions and running around, weeing on the floor and she says, see, there I'm like, yeah, just, I just got to um, change his nappy. Um, so, but she was very patient and very sweet. And then she was on set as well. And, uh, and Alberto San Juan was really supportive and kind as well. And I think I learned it's like speaking not in your mother tongue is really different in terms of an acting experience because 
in your own language, you understand one another on a real bone level and you can slightly, all the nuance and all the things that are in body language and and everything are so available to us. And in Spanish, like I didn't have any of that available to me. I didn't know about the nuance of what I might, I knew what I was saying, but in terms of how it could be nuanced or, or if I was ever received like a slightly different word as my cue, I'd just be like, well, he hasn't said también. So, and so oh, then oh, we would oh. just stop. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, sometimes he would paraphrase. I'd be like, I'm really sorry. Like it has to be también. Otherwise I just don't know when to come in. <laughs> so, so it's a little bit less organic than uh, acting in English. Your next big thing, you're the lead in a play at the National. You're playing Charlotte Bronte. What is your body clock most suited to? Are you like prefer the early mornings or is it kind of fun to do the late night play? Mm, I'm I'm not a night owl, but it's it's really fun because I even theatre you get home by half past nine ten o'clock largely and they're even piloting um I think it's four six thirty p.m. performances, so I'll be home even earlier. Isn't that great? That's amazing. See a show and get home before nine thirty. I love the way that 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 is the way. What at one stage would have been a career high is being talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They like said, "I'm gonna. How am I gonna get home?" <laughs> Equally, I'm very excited to be a lead at the national. It's something I never <laughs> ever thought would happen. Thought it was a bit of a closed door. So I'm I'm thrilled and terrified all at once. Are you um? Are you a triple threat? Because I know you're a double threat. You can. I know this about Gemma. Well, I, I know she can dance and I know she can act. Can you sing as well? Can, yeah. Oh my God. Gemma, the way people talk about your dancing, like I'm a really good dancer and I met people and they were like, you need to see Gemma Whalen dance. Like it's crazy. Essentially whatever it is I Carrie have. Lloyd. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, what you think you have Gemma Whelan really has. And I, I hope to see it one day. I do love dancing. I love it. But yeah, I, I mean, I do sing. We've got to get Gemma and Jerry out on a karaoke date. Oh, Wow. But you like going on your own, don't you, you two? We yeah, do. but Gemma, you did not pick up what I put down about that karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> there was no enthusiasm coming back in this I don't direction. To be told. <laughs> um, will you ask Gemma what she's watching? What are you watching? Um, well, I we've just watched Poor Things last week. And I absolutely love it it and then i've read all the critiques online because i'm so impressionable i'm like oh maybe i'm a monster yeah yeah, (laughs) i really enjoyed it i'm sorry (laughs) i thought it was extraordinary it took me a long time to digest it afterwards and and get over the concept and the acting and the feast it was i listened to daisy may cooper's podcast with you guys this morning and you you had just seen saltburn and i have only just seen it recently and i felt the same as you i hated them all and i was like why do I still, why am I so desperate to see what they do next? It's just like Succession. I hate them all, but I can't wait to see what they do next. Oh, did you say before we started that you had a documentary you wanted to recommend for us? Oh, yeah. Have you seen Murder on a Sunday Morning? No. Oh. Have a look at that. What is it? Pitch me. It's just a fantastic, I don't want to ruin it at all. A woman is murdered. A man is arrested for her murder. The trial. Fine. I think it won an Oscar, but still no one knows about it. And there's an ama- there's an amazing set of characters who just go above and beyond for this person who is arrested. Murder on a Sunday morning. I started watching it again in order that I didn't recommend a turkey to you. But no, it's good. It's good. Oh my gosh. I'm in. Gemma Whelan, 
I want to do that little heart thing with my fingers, but I never do a very good job of it. Do you know that I, I got into a habit where I was doing that on stage at a certain moment, and then I like saw a bunch of other stand-ups doing it in little clips, and I was like, oh, it's what we do when we don't have a good line. <laughs> what What are other things to look out for that stand-ups do when they haven't got a good line? Um, anybody else? Oh, I do a masturbation gesture. I know that if I find myself doing a mimed wank, bad sign. A lack of a muscular line is what's there. <laughs> To the inbox, let's go. This first one is from Anonymous. Oh. This person writes, Hi, Jeff and Sarah. Wrong order, Anonymous, but that's fine. Some anonymity might be good here. Not a problem, as you can see. It's going to be a movie star, isn't it? <laughs> I'm a barrister and solicitor from New Zealand and came to Fisk recently after an Aussie friend of mine asked me to watch it to see if it reflected reality in any way. Our firm is branded as quote-unquote boutique, but we're really just your local neighborhood suburban solicitors, and we deal with a lot of wills and estates. The show is very hard for me to watch because it is so accurate. I was therefore astounded to hear during your excellent, thank you so much, Anonymous, interview with Kitty Flanagan that previous iterations of the show took place in other situations. I see myself in Helen and Ray, mostly Ray, if I'm honest, and I currently work with at least two Roz's. I was sold on the show as soon as Roz forcefully noted she was suspended, not struck off in the first episode. <laughs> Cheers, Anonymous. Oh, that's great. It'd be great to hear from you as well if there is a show that is too painful for you to watch because it's too accurate a depiction of your life or your experience. I know someone who works in politics and she, have I gender swapped them, um, and, and she can't watch the thick of it and is, is triggered even by a mention of the thick of it really? because it is so accurate. I am, um, as the mother, this is like slightly different, but sort of the same. We are the parents of an only child. And in the previously mentioned in this podcast, Girls 5 Eva. Which is coming back soon. Which, oh boy, am I going to bang the drum for that show when it comes back. They have a song in it called New York Lonely Boys. And it's about like sort of only children in very urban settings with like parents who had children kind of old. <laughs> and Jeff and I started watching it. And I could feel both of our bodies seizing up <laughs> because it was such a clear reflection. But I mean, it's the funniest thing. So I started laughing and I said to Jeff, I was like, please tell me you are acknowledging this is funny. And he's like, I'm incredibly uncomfortable. But yes, it is so <laughs> funny. And now my measure of the quality of other parents of only children is whether or not they can fucking acknowledge that that song is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And if it gets their back up a little too much, it means they're pieces of shit. Anyway, Anonymous, you know who you are. And this was just a fabulous email to read. So thank you for sending it in. This comes from Stuart Platt, who says, Hi, FCNNC. Regarding places we know that are featured in film or TV, Nil by Mouth, the Gary Oldman directed and Kathy Burke stroke Ray Winston kitchen sink Oscar winner, features a scene of low-life scumbags robbing people, doing drugs and being suicidal outside of a shopping centre at the Elephant and Castle next to a cinema, specifically the cinema where I was sat watching Nil by oh, Mouth. glorious. What a moment. Mind-blowing. Yeah. He says, I kept my wallet tight in my hand on the walk home that night. I'll tell you what would be great is if your street has ever been used 
to symbolise something. To symbolise something bad. Yeah, yeah, like bad, <laughs> like like poor taste, for example. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Uh, that's great. Thank you, Stuart. And this last one comes from Yael. Friend of the pod, hi, Yael. This says, hi, FNN. Here's what I can't resist. A program about a cult or a crazy religion. Totally. I am strangely drawn to people who want so badly to believe in something that they will sacrifice everything to follow a guru. I also love someone leaving a religion or cult, seeing the scales fall from their eyes as they realize everything is a lie. What was that show about the woman who left the Hasidic community? Oh, on Netflix and, and moved to Berlin. Yes. Yeah, it was good that, wasn't it? Este. I can't remember the name of that show, but that was the girl's name and that's how... Um, I'm not saying that Hasids are a cult. I've just looked it up. Unorthodox. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, Yael continues. The Moonies mass weddings. The Moonies! I don't know. Who are the Moonies? Oh, the Moonies. I miss the Moonies. You used to hear about them all the time. They, they, um, they get married in the thousands in stadia. In football stadia. Where? Or at arenas. Oh, I want to show like Unorthodox, but about the Mooney community. Well, wait, Yael, do you know about any docs about the Mooney community? I'd love it, yeah. Because if you said to me, oh, they get married in the thousands, I think that sounds kind of, you know... Financially prudent. Yeah, like I really respect someone who's kind of like, oh, throws their wedding away. In a way, I, I think is quite cool. But you're saying that's not quite the energy that these people are bringing to the experience? I don't, I don't think so. I'm almost getting a Proustian rush at the mention of the Moonies. It was something I used to hear about a lot in my childhood, but I've forgotten everything apart from that detail about the weddings and that Moonies is an inherently funny name. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, Leah, Yael, tell us if there's something that we could watch about them because I feel into it as well. Other items in her list are Jim Jones, Nikes or Nikes at Heaven's Gate. Yael, I think you are the expert. I don't know about any of this. Mother of God, Yael continues, was like crack. Of course it was. I can't wait to watch Prophet based on Australia's Evangelica megachurch Hillsong. Also, angry snacks is our new favorite phrase. Yours in peace, love, and crack pottery, Yael. We'd love to hear from you, please. Recommendations, follow-ups, the email addresses. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And please send those emails. Don't make me remind you, there's such wonderful little sparks of joy in my day. This week, Gemma Whelan likes to watch Saltburn, which you can find on Prime Video, and Murder on a Sunday Morning, which is on BBC iPlayer. Sarah likes to watch True Detective, Night Country, on HBO and Sky and Now TV here. I like to watch Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is on Prime Video, and we like to watch The Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix. We are the world. Shala. We are the children. Charling gay. No. Okay, guys, look, today, at the time of recording, it is the anniversary of when we first met. At one point in the day, Jeff will put on a song on our speakers in the house. First time ever I saw your face. <laughs> it was playing yesterday, and I thought, I wonder if I'll play this at his funeral. <laughs> sob. Anyway, today I went into the local card shop and I want to give you some advice because I went shopping for a heart-related card. 
today, a week and a half before Valentine's Day, the selection was so wonderful. So if you do like to celebrate, go today, get a Valentine's Day card if you have a beloved. Just go do it right now, and then you're not going to be digging through the dregs. And ending up with something with a pun on it. Something, yes, something fucking clever. Everything is clever, except none of it is clever. I hate a funny card. Go simple. Yes, just I love you. Or or a blank card. That could be a condolence card. Could be a birthday card. Yes. Buy it now. This is a triggering conversation for you because you're all alone. We celebrate your status, whatever your status is. Maybe you're happy on your own. No, but the thing is, is if you're happy on your own, I'm not talking to those people right now because they're not going to be triggered by our Valentine's Day card conversation. They don't care. They think it's stupid anyway. I'm talking to someone who goes, I feel alone. And this holiday makes me feel more alone. And you talking like everyone has someone to buy a card for hurts me and my little inside. So just right now, you, I'm with you right now. And I'm buying you a card. And I am giving you that card next week.